There was a young boy who came home from church one Sunday morning and he decided that it was a nice, beautiful day. And he decided what he would do is go outside and, and play some baseball. So he went in his bedroom and he was looking for his baseball and he decided to crawl under his bed. He could see it under his bed, so he crawled under his bed to fetch his ball. His mom was in the kitchen and, and she heard him yelling, Mom! 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 And you know how that is when you're a mother... Uh, first three yells, you're not concerned. But the fifth yell, you kind of get concerned. So she goes running into the bedroom to see what's going on. And he's laying there looking under his bed. And he goes, Mom, I'm glad you're here. I don't know what's going on. And she said, what do you mean? What do you mean? And he goes, under my bed. I don't know what's happening. And she says, what do you mean? He goes, there's dust under my bed and somebody's either coming or going. So happened that the pastor was preaching through the book of Genesis. Genesis 2, verses 4 through 7. And that's where we find ourselves this morning as we continue our journey through the book of Genesis. In this passage that we're looking at this morning, there's, this passage has caused quite a bit of confusion I told John and I told Joni early in the week, I didn't know how many verses we were going to bite off because as we look at this passage of Scripture, I wanted to make sure that we understand what this is talking about. I didn't want to take off too much, but I was concerned of taking too little. And so by taking this bite off of looking at verses 4 through 7, I, I think we'll fill up our time until 2 o'clock quite well. As we look at this passage in verses 4 through 7, we see the creation of man. We see the creation of man taking place. And it's important for us to remember, Genesis 1, when we looked at that last time, we saw the week of creation unfold. And in that week of creation, we did see the creation of man. Now, something that happens in Hebrew literature Oftentimes a writer will tell the story and he will share it in a broad sense. And then he will come back and he will narrow his vision and his view and share the same story. And as we come to Genesis 2, verses 4 through 7, that's exactly what we find. Genesis 1 was a broad story, a broad view of creation. Here in Genesis 2, God takes Moses, and Moses records just the creation of man. And he shares that in verses 4 through the end of this chapter. And so we're going to look at this. Remember, the rest of creation is not in view here. It is just the creation of man. And so as we make our way through this this morning, this is what we're going to use to kind of lead us, to kind of direct us. In verse 4, we see the timing of all of this. In verses 5 and 6, we see the setting. And then in verse 7, we see the creating. Now open your Bibles this morning to Genesis chapter 2 and find verse 4 and stand with me, if you will. I'll read it out loud in my copy of the Scriptures, which happens to be the, the um, English Standard Version. And you can follow along with me in your copy of the Scriptures. Genesis 2 verse 4 reads this way. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. 
when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. And a mist was going up from the land, and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Great God in heaven, we're thankful as we read this passage for the creation of man. Father, we know without the creation of man, we wouldn't be here because we didn't evolve. We didn't just happen. It was your plan. And so, Father, we thank you for that. We thank you for the opportunity we have to sit here today and look into your word and be reminded, Father, of where we came from. And so, Father, as we take this time this morning to delve into your word, I pray you'd give us understanding. I pray that you would give me clarity of thought and clarity of speech. And I pray, Father, that you would give us clarity of hearing as well, and that you'd open our heart and let us hear from you today. And so, Father, take our minds and our hearts and and help us to understand what you have for us today. And it's in your Son's name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I do have a confession to make this morning. As I was preparing this and as I was studying beforehand, I really did not think we would stop at verse 7. I really was going to take a huge bite. But as I delve further into it, uh, we stopped at verse 7. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at verse 4 to begin with. And as we look at verse 4 here, the first thing we see here is the timing that all of this is taking place. Notice verse 4. It says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. Now, as we move through the book of Genesis, we're going to see this phrase a number of times. This is the first time we see it, and we're going to encounter it about ten more times. It's kind of a breaking point in the writing of Moses here in the book of Genesis. Uh, it kind of is a statement that unfolds what lies after it. And as we look at these ten next ten different times, you'll see how all of this unfolds. This passage here, verse 4, kind of seems to be a summary of what we've seen before this. In Genesis 1, we saw the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created. So it's kind of an unfolding of those events. Now as we look at this in the future, we'll see this statement and then we'll see everything unfold behind it. In Genesis 6 verse 9 we read this, These are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in, the genera- in, the, in his generation. Noah walked with God. And following that we'll see the unfolding of Noah's life. We read this here in verse 4, kind of in the middle of God's telling us and sharing with us of creation and the events of creation. Now notice as verse 4 continues, it says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, you'll notice this word day here. This word day as it's used here, different than the times we've seen it used before. Remember in Genesis 1, as we saw it used, it said, and this was the morning and evening, the fourth day. This was evening and morning, 
the sixth day. We always saw that little numerical adjective used with this word. Every time there's a numerical adjective that's used, that indicates to us that he's speaking of a specific 24-hour day. We talked about this before. If somebody says March 20th, you know he's speaking about that day, March 20th. But if someone says back in the day, you know they're speaking about their high school years or whatever time period that was. Uh, the good old days is speaking about a time period that has gone by. That is the way this term is used. And he's referencing back to the time of creation. In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. So Moses is making a reference back to that time of creation itself. Not a specific day, but the time of creation, that week of creation that it was taking place. Now notice as verse 4 continues, it says, In the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. For the first time, we see the word Lord and the word God together. Every time prior to this, and in Genesis 1, every time prior to this, we only see the word God used. Capital G, lowercase o, lowercase d. Notice Genesis 1.1. It says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In Genesis 1.27, it says, So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The Hebrew word that's translated God here is the word Elohim. And every time in the Old Testament that you see uppercase G, lowercase o, lowercase d, you, the translators is telling us this is the word Elohim. Now, Elohim is a word that links us to God as creator. Genesis 1, Elohim, Elohim, Elohim. All right? We see God as the creator. Uh, thinking about his ability to create. That's not some small task. So God is powerful as we think about this word being used in this sense. But it is a reference or is tied and linked to the thought of, of God being creator. And Elohim is used 32 times in chapter 1 alone. There's a point here. He is the creator God. That's what he is driving home. Now, this word Lord, you'll notice, is in all uppercase letters, L-O-R-D. This translators have translated the word Yahweh as Lord. Every time you're reading through the Old Testament, you see Lord in all uppercase. Remind yourself that it's the word Yahweh. Jehovah is the Greek word. Yahweh is the Hebrew word. And this is, this is what is used here. The word Yahweh is self-existent one. The one who reveals himself. Remember when Moses was at the burning bush. God used the word Yahweh. I am. I am. There in that instance. And so that is God. So for the first time, we see this reference here to God being the self-existent one. The creator God. The self-existent God. Now, some people would argue and say, well, we have two different writers here. Someone wrote Genesis 1 and somebody else is writing Genesis 2. I don't, I don't buy that cup of tea. I like tea, but I don't buy it here. This is speaking of God the Creator, and there's this emphasis here 
of the self-existent one. So this is the first time that we see that uh, mentioned here. Now, as we continue to work our way through verse 4, notice it says, These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. Now, as we're thinking about the timing of this event, Moses is writing this for us, and he's letting us know this is the time of creation. That's what he's referencing here. Notice how many times it says it. These are the generations of the heavens and the earth when they were created, in the day that the Lord God made the earth and the heavens. What do you think's on his mind there? The earth and the heavens creation. Creation of the heavens and the earth. Uh, you know, just like so many times my dad would say today, you're going to take out the trash. Now remember, today you're going to take out the trash. Today is the day that you take out the trash. The garbage man is coming today. Take out the trash. There was a sense there that I needed to pick up on. First of all, today's the day, whatever that means. But time and time again, the trash needs to be taken out. Same thing here. This is what Moses is talking about, is the week of creation. So Moses has told us about this week of creation. Now he's taking us and he's giving us an in-depth look at one part of this week of creation. Many people have looked at this and said, okay, Genesis 1 is one creation account. Genesis 2 is a whole new creation. And you can see how that confusion was there. But that's not what was taking place at all. As we understand Hebrew literature and how writers of Hebrew write this. It wasn't written by someone in 2017 telling us here in 2018 how it all unfolded. We have to realize this is Moses writing this in a Hebrew culture to Hebrew people using Hebrew practices. And that's what we have in verse 4. So the timing of all of this is during the week of creation. Now notice the setting that's mentioned in verse 5. And I'm going to read verses 5 through 7 for you just so that we see what he's talking about here. It says, When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. A mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. The man became a living creature. Now, look at verse 5. We read there that no bush of the field was yet in the land. Our minds, my mind I should say, automatically goes back to verse 3. You guys are way behind me, aren't you? Okay, my mind goes back to day 3. Because remember, on day 3, that's when God created the vegetation. So it says, when no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. Genesis 1, verse 11 says this, God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, and fruit trees bearing fruit in which there is seed, each according to its kind, on the earth, and it was so. So we're back to day three here. And as we read verse five here, it almost seems like we're talking day three because there's no bush, there's no, there's no, uh, yet, there's no bush in the field yet in the land. 
All right? So our mind is back at day three. Well, this causes confusion because if God didn't create man till day six, and here we are saying no bush of the field, which is day three, how can man be the capstone on day six if there's no vegetation here on day three? So people are confused, thinking, well, maybe God really did create man on day three. Maybe God didn't create man on day six. Are you as confused as I am? Those of you who are awake look confused. (laughs) Those of you who are sleeping, I lost you at good morning. All right. So before you panic, before you doze off, hang on just a second. Read verse 5 again. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up. Okay, interesting thought. Notice the next part. For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. God had not caused it to rain yet. In this setting, God had not caused it to rain yet. From creation to the flood is about a thousand years. During that time period, there was no rain. So as we look at this setting here, the setting of these events is taking place before the fall. This is pre-fall conditions that he's talking about here. Okay? Now, on day three, when God created vegetation, There was no need for man to work the soil. Man had not been created yet on day three, correct? So there was no need for it to, for God, for man to work the soil. It sprang up. We read this in verse 11 of Genesis 1, which is day three. God said, let the earth sprout vegetation, plants yielding seed, fruit trees bearing fruit, in which is their seed, each according to its kind on the earth. And it was so. So vegetation sprouted on day three. So we know that on day three there was vegetation. Man was not there yet on day three, but there was vegetation. All right? We're almost there. Prior to the fall... Prior to the fall, man did not need to work the ground. Prior to the fall, there were no thorns and there were no thistles. After the fall, there were thorns and there were thistles. When God kicked Adam and Eve out of the garden, they had to begin working the field. Genesis 3, verse 23. I know we're not there yet, but here we go. Genesis 3, verse 23 says, Therefore the Lord God sent him, Adam, out from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. Genesis 3, 18 and 19 say, Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth for you, and you shall eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face... You shall eat bread till you return to the ground, for out of it you were taken, for you are dust, and to dust you shall return. 
All right? Everybody with me so far? Not really. But here we go. Hopefully here it'll all come together. Read verse 5 in Genesis 2 again. When no bush of the field was yet in the land, and no small plant of the field had yet sprung up, because or for the Lord had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. So God has not yet created man. The fall has not yet taken place. Moses is sharing all of this to give us this pre-fall setting where God was going to create man. Remember in Genesis 1, God looked and said it was good. It was very good. Man had not yet defiled the earth. Moses takes us to day 6 and says, It is good. It is very good. There are no thorns and thistles yet. It hadn't begun to rain yet. Things were good. It says there, For the Lord God had not caused it to rain on the land, and there was no man to work the ground. Why was there no man to work the ground? Because he had not yet been created. Does that make sense? Not really. You can tell me, not really. Now look at verse 6. Actually, I don't want to go there yet. Sorry. Man was created on day 6. We read this account of day 6 in Genesis 1.27. So, God created man in his own image, and in the image of God he created him, male and female he created them. So Moses lets us know that this was before the fall of man. This event right here is before the creation of man. He's taken us from the broad view of Genesis 1, and he's focusing us in on day 6. He doesn't deal with any other part of the creation. He's just looking at day six, the creation of man. He doesn't tell us how God created the sun or the moon or the stars. He doesn't tell us any of those things. His focus is on the creation of man. That's such an amazing thing when you think about it. Because can you imagine creating a star? How amazing is that? That is not the capstone of God's creation. Man is the capstone of God's creation. Dogs, puppies especially, are so cute. But they are not the capstone of God's creation. doesn't tell us how he created dogs. God focuses on how he created man. Verse 6. A mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. Again, a thousand years before rain came, God was watering the earth. When you think about the flood, rains came as a judgment from God. As you look at how God deals with Israel in the Old Testament, He often withholds rain or gives rain as part of His judgment. Time and time again, rain is used in that way. In this perfect pre-fall world, there was no rain. 
It says, a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. The other day I was sitting there and I just turned to Darcy and I said, when you think of a mist, what do you think about? And the next morning we had that mist. Remember you walked outside, it didn't look like it was raining, but everything was wet and you put the dog out and you bring the dog back in and it smells like a wet dog. And you're thinking, how does that happen with just your paws on the grass? How does that happen? And then you step outside and you feel that kind of misting. When we have that kind of mist, it comes from above. Rain. It says, a mist was going up from the land and was watering the whole face of the ground. This mist was coming up from the ground. This was a subterranean, below the surface, water source. The whole surface of the earth was being watered. It was water flowing out of the ground. Genesis 2 verse 10 says this, A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four rivers. I had the opportunity of growing up at the headwaters of the Colorado River. When the Colorado River gets into California, it's a big piece of water. But when it's in the mountains of Colorado, it's just a small creek. And it grows bigger and bigger as it goes. This mist, as it came up from the ground, was a river that flowed out of Eden and watered the garden. And it divided and became four rivers. There was an abundance of water flowing here as it came out of the ground. And I was so amazed at how, according to our weather today, water evaporates, moves over the Rocky Mountains, gets dropped down as snow, melts, makes everybody panic because it's flooding, runs to California. They complain because not enough is getting there. It's too dry. Evaporates, comes back, and does the same thing. When we don't get much snow, when we don't get much rain, we don't get much water flowing in the river. This abundance of water was happening without rain. There was no lack of water. This was kind of a, a tropical-type climate. Moisture in the ground, not worried about drought, not worried about when the next rain is coming. It was a constant coming of water, a constant flow of water. Much different than what we have today, isn't it? That was what was taking place. So this is the timing of all of this as it's unfolding. And we see the setting here in this pre-flood setting is where this is taking place. So what is this build-up for? What's taking place that he's leading us to? Well, I'm glad you asked that question. God now brings us to the creation of man. The capstone of God's creation. Look at verse 7. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground. The Lord God formed man. We know that God created man 
in his own image. We saw this in Genesis 1, verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So here in Genesis 2, verse 7, we see that man was formed from the dust. Genesis 1.26 just gives us an overview. Created in the image of God. But in Genesis 2, verse 7, we see that man was formed. Job 10, verse 8 says this, Your hands fashioned and made me, and now you have destroyed me altogether. Remember that you have made me like clay, and will you return me to dust? You know, as we look at this, there is nothing recorded here about man evolving. There's not even a glimpse of how man could evolve. This is a picture of God forming man as a potter forms clay into a pot. Boy, we've been to Sodder's Village a couple of times since we've lived in Michigan. We don't even need a green card to get in there. It's so amazing. So we're, in, we're there at Sodder's. And the last time we were at Sodder's, I don't know if we caught it on a bad day, if it was a Friday. Well, we broke in. That's what we did. We broke in. We were there illegally. But none of the, none of the shops were really open. There were a few shops that were open, but, but not all of them. And so this time when we went to Sodder's Village, the pot maker's uh, village was open. I guess I need to be careful how I say pot, right? Uh, the ceramic man's village shop was open. And we walked in there and he was making ceramics. All right? And he, while we were in there, just took a hunk of clay and stuck it on his wheel and started turning it. And he kept moistening his hands and he kept working that piece of clay. And at first the clay was kind of awkward. You know, it wasn't even... And then pretty soon as he's moving his hands, pretty soon you couldn't really even tell that it was moving because he, he had it in such perfect form. And he just kept, kept shaping it and just kept working it out. And pretty soon it was this, just an amazing ceramic piece. And I mean, I was mesmerized. The kids were like, hey, let's go, Dad. There's ice cream next door. I was mesmerized until I heard the word ice cream. But anyway, I asked the man, I said, how long have you been working on this pot? And he said, 30 years. He said, this is just years and years and years of practice. And watching him form that is this idea here of God forming man. Now, God is spirit. He doesn't have hands, so it wasn't that way. But this is a picture of how God formed man. And Paul takes this idea and he runs with this idea. Romans 9, verse 20 says, But who are you, O man, to answer back to God? Will what is molded say to its molder, Why have you made me like this? Has the potter no right over the clay to make out of the same lump one vessel for honorable use and another for dishonorable use? 
If someone ever comes to you and tells you you're nothing but dirt, agree with them. Because they're right. They may mean it as something horrific, but God formed you out of the dust of the earth. That was how God made you. And when we die, just like the little boy looking under his bed, we were made by dust, and one day we will return to dust. Romans 3, verse 19, as God shares the curse with mankind. By the sweat of your face, you shall eat bread. You'll have to work the ground till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, you were dirt, for you are dust. And to the dust you shall return. So man was just a clay form, and God created man, and he formed him. Verse 7 continues. It says, Then the Lord God formed the man of dust from the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. So here was man in this dirt, clay form, and God breathed in him the breath of life. At that moment, man became a living creature. His lungs began to work. His heart began to work. All of those little capillaries became filled with blood. They began carrying oxygen to all of the cells. They began carrying carbon dioxide away from those cells. The brain began to function. His ears began to work. His nose began to work. And just like that, life began in man. It's interesting that animals also have this breath of life. Genesis 7, verse 15 says this, They went into the ark with Noah, two and two of all flesh, in which there was the breath of life. God and God alone is the one who gives life. Nothing else is able to do that. God is the giver and sustainer of life. Job 12, verse 10 says, In his hand is the life of of every living thing and the breath of all mankind. God is the author of life. Man became a living creature. The King James Version says, man became a living soul. Although God gave the breath of life to all living creatures, Man was a special creation. He created man like nothing else. He created man in his image. Cats and dogs not created in the image of God. Only man is created in the image of God. There was nothing else that God created with that personal connection. 
Created in the image of God is not speaking about our physical form because God is a spirit. There are some attributes that man has that God also has. Man's attributes are much smaller in perspective than God's, obviously. But God created man with an intellect. God created man with the ability to reason. God created man with the ability to think abstractly. God created man with the ability to be creative. Man has a conscience. Man was created with emotion. Man was created with a will. God gave man an inner spiritual nature that enables man to know God. It enables us to commune with God. It enables us to worship God. Man and man alone has the ability to have a relationship with God. Man was created morally sensitive, morally aware. Man was created on day six. God formed him and breathed into him the breath of life. And man became a living creature. 1 Corinthians 15.45 says this, Thus it is written, The first man, Adam, which the Hebrew word for man is Adam, or pronounced Adam. Thus it's written, the first man, Adam, became a living being. So there you have it. The timing, the setting, and the creating. Some of those things, as we look at those verses, can cause great confusion. My prayer this week has been, I hope I don't confuse them more. If you were confused more, you can send all of the hate mail to Joni. She answers all of my hate mail and puts it in file 13 for me to read someday. So what do we take home from this confusing stuff? As we look at what Moses has shared with us, Moses is making sure we understand the timing and the setting. In this pre Flood in this pre-fall era, God created man. And God placed him there. As we look at all of these surroundings, we need to remember what Genesis 1-1 says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And you know, in the beginning... God also created man. He didn't create a bunch of amoebas and we swam upstream out of the amoebas and evolved into man. God created the heavens and the earth and God created man. Man was formed in the image of God. I don't know how it is for you, but sometimes when we deal with those moments, if we think that we're worth anything or not worth anything, those are the times we need to remind ourselves of the truth. You were created in the image of God.
You are an image bearer of God. You have the capability of having a unique relationship with God. Something that nothing else in creation can have. But you can have it. Because of sin, our relationship with God was changed. We'll see that in Genesis 3. But our relationship with God has changed because of sin. God created everything perfect and without sin. But sin came into the world and separated us from God. So that that relationship with God is broken. But you know, God went through all of this effort to create us so that we could have a relationship with Him. And He didn't just walk away. He could have, but He didn't. He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, into the world. And Jesus lived a perfect life. And He died our death for Him so that we could have a relationship with God once again. So that relationship could be restored. Maybe you're here today and you've never realized that you were created in order to have a unique relationship with God. Maybe that's been something that you've heard talked about but you've never realized. Maybe you want to know more about that relationship with God and how that relationship can be restored. I want to give you an opportunity this morning to seek out God so that relationship with God can be restored. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Maybe you're here this morning and you want that unique relationship with God restored and you've never had that relationship with God before. But you would like to begin that relationship today because for the first time you realized that God wants to have a relationship with you. If you would like for me to talk to you about this unique relationship with God, if you could just raise your hand for me just for a second. No one else is looking around. I'm not going to call on you to embarrass you. I'd just like to visit with you about this unique relationship. 